I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners. All right. Hello, humans. I am your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business. I talk with sales and HR experts, other small business owners, and anyone else that can provide you with information to clear your way to success. Uh, Today, we are going to learn a little bit about a local business owner um, who's helping a ton of organizations in the area. Uh, My guest today is Stephanie Masters, uh, owner of Stephanie Masters Consulting and Nonprofit Sidekick. Um, Stephanie's career has touched several industries from banking, higher ed, nonprofit. Um, Throughout much of her career, her roles have kind of focused on developing people. Um, We chatted in episode six about hiring your first employee. So um, that will be linked below. Definitely check that out if you are just starting out looking to figure out how in the world you find people and hire them. Um, Steph, thanks for coming back on. Um, Thanks for being a friend. And yeah, welcome back. Happy to be here. (laughs) Um, Okay, so today is going to be much different than the last one. When I was prepping for the last one, there were a lot of things that I had no idea how they how they connected. Um, It was interesting to me. So I wanted to have you back on to do this style of episode. So uh, let's start early on, like let's start in like pre like high school and all of that. What kind of student were you? How were you involved in any activities? What? Yeah, let's start there. Um, I was the student that probably annoyed most teachers. Um, I had a really short attention span. I had uh, a really active imagination. And it, if I didn't understand the connection of what I already knew to what was new, it was really hard for me to engage and uh, okay. learn that. So as long as I could uh, create while in the classroom, I did, I did well. But in terms of like, as a traditional student, I, I will not sit here and tell you I was a straight A student. I wasn't. I was like a BC student in high school. Were there any, was there anything in particular that like grabbed your attention? Like any subjects or anything? Art. Okay. I, yeah. Every, every art class I could possibly take in high school, I did. I won a scholarship to uh, the Moore College of Art in Philadelphia over the summer to really hone in on my, my art skills. And if you told me that I could do art all day and I could put everything else off on the side, I would have. Okay. So what kind, like what, what kind of art, what were you I loved everything. I did jewelry making, etching, uh, oil painting, um, drawing, uh, sculpture, any anything that I could create something from my imagination Okay, is what I wanted to do. Do you still do any of that? I do not as much as I like to, but I like I still watercolor. I still um, create jewelry. Um, That's cool. Yeah, okay. I dabble in doing weird things to photography. So there's different things that I still do, um, but uh, it, it grounds me, and I don't do enough of it. Huh. Okay. I will get. Had had you? Okay. So out of school, out of high school. You went to what, Towson University? I actually started at Edinburgh. I don't list okay. that. Okay. Or what is it now? Penn West Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I started, I was a cross country runner 
um, on the on the team, and okay. I started there with uh, art education, and it was not a great atmosphere for me. Um, for somebody who needed structure and needed to have a little bit more of a path, um, I was a free-range chicken up there, and it did not work well for me. Okay. So after two years, I did transfer to Towson, which was uh, a much better um, structure for me personally, and I thrived there. Like my, I was a an A student. I uh, excelled in all of my classes. I really felt like I found my place. So art educate what were you what did you want to do <laughs> i didn't know <laughs> okay you just liked art my my mother and my grandmother were teachers my uh father was a computer engineer my brother's uh an engineer so we had like the uber smart side of the family um you know my uh my parents did very well for themselves uh and then there was me that was like drawing on walls didn't really do well in standardized testing um, and there wasn't really a clear path forward. Like nobody in, uh, show and tell in kindergarten stands up and says, I want to be a human resources professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That doesn't happen. Yeah. So well, there wasn't a, pla- a real clear path. Okay. So when you were, okay, so back to before, actually even through college, were, was there any pressure from your parents or anybody for, because you were kind of going down this art path that wasn't super clear? Was there any any pressure or weirdness there? or? I think every parent wants a really clear plan for their kid uh, of what happens. You invest this, this time and this energy, uh, and I was just honestly lost. I knew that I loved art. Um, I did like teaching kids. I hated the bureaucracy of public education and all of the stuff that came with it. Well, at what point did you realize that, though? <laughs> Too early to continue to get my degree in it. Okay, okay. So still at in college, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so, but no re- But was there any actual pressure or just kind of not real? Like they were kind of hands-off, not hands-off, oh, oh no, but there, like... I mean, there was definitely pressure for me to graduate okay. and to and to come up with a plan. And I knew coming out of college that I was not... I, I did what I was supposed to do. I didn't enjoy it. So I went on interviews for teaching, um, but when they asked the questions about some of the politics and the bureaucracy of, of teaching, I answered honestly. So I didn't get any of those jobs. Okay. Okay. So what what so the plan originally was to teach. Then mm. what happened from there? How did you get off of the Yeah, what what, what happened after that? So there weren't a lot of clear avenues for me to go. So I I love helping people, and that's been something that's been a constant through my whole life. So there was actually an opening for what was called an activities director at one of the local, uh, it was a hospital and, and care center. So I went in and I applied, and the the area of focus that I was able to then do is to create art with these individuals as a form of therapy. So I worked with people who have uh, memory issues, people who had um, cognitive and physical uh, rehabilitation, where I actually helped them regain some of the strength in their hands. Okay. And... Um, I loved it. 
we we actually hosted an art show. I had women who started to paint and paint very well in their 80s and 90s. And we actually hosted cool. an art opening. That's cool. To show the amazing work that these uh, these individuals did. And so that I loved. That's pretty cool. Um, okay, so you mentioned you've always kind of had this desire to help people. What? How early on did you realize that? <laughs> Uh, my mother has reminded me uh, of several embarrassing incidences when I was a kid where my parents would have dinner parties and I would design <laughs> little presentations for them in the middle of the dinner. Like, thank God they were all drinking because here's this like five or six year old that's marching in and doing. I don't even know what I was talking about. And if they wouldn't listen to me, I would line up all my stuffed animals and I would do presentations, <laughs> which is hilarious because that's really what I do now yeah. is stand up and facilitate. Yeah. OK, so five is my answer. Okay. <laughs> five years old. Wow. Okay. And I assume that probably played some um, role in the, at least the thought of going into education. Yeah. Okay. Was there, was that something that you recognized that early? Like that, because I know there's a lot of those things that you, not you, but like, you know, you're good at these things, but you don't really think of them as being a piece of a career. Was that something that you picked up on early as like, oh, I want to help people for my job? Or um, was it not really something that you were like aware of? Does that make sense? It does. I, I would say I didn't know what that what the helping people would look like. And I went through several career um, evolutions to get to, oh, OK, this makes sense to me. This feels really good. I'm good at it. It's intuitive for me. But there were several iterations where I tried it. Uh, it either didn't go well for me. It didn't go well for the organization. And I knew it was time to move on. OK. Um, OK, so and OK, so back to uh, this long term care facility. So you've got these art shows that feels like the people they had to they had to love that. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. So what led so eventually you leave there. Mm-hmm. What led to you wanting to like it sounds like that was something that was pretty pretty awesome for you. What led to you wanting to move on or choosing to move on or or any of that? I started working in long-term care in Philadelphia where I am originally from and then when um my my first husband got into Duquesne. I followed him here, and we continued. So I continued to work in long term care for about four years. And what started to wear on me is that I became incredibly attached to these individuals mm. in the, and I learned their their uh, their backgrounds. I knew their entire history. I knew their families, and then they would pass on. Yeah, and. That was really hard. And there was uh, two residents in particular that I had known that probably the entire four years since I moved here that uh, would go in every morning. I celebrated holidays with them. I always talked to their families and it uh, and they passed away suddenly and peacefully. But that that was it for me. It was like the the loss of those two individuals after all of the other people. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I, I was at a, a networking event and somebody started talking to me. I told a joke and he mm-hmm. asked me if uh, I would be interested in going to healthcare recruiting. So I said, sure, I'll give it a try. You know, it was still helping people. Uh-huh. I was still utilizing my background of everything that I had learned about the medical industry in yeah. long-term care and hospice. So it just made sense for me to to make that transition. Okay. What was the job there? Well, what were you doing? What was the job? What were you doing at that, at the new job? Um, At the recruiting job? Yeah. I was recruiting for physical, occupational, and speech therapists to provide um, care, basically either going into nursing homes or other rehab facilities. Okay. I imagine that was kind of a big change. It was. That feels like going from hosting an art gallery with a long-term care to recruiting. How was that? How how was that transition? It I liked the challenge of it. I liked the challenge of finding the right therapist for the right patient. Mhm. Um, but it was a lot of coordin- uh, coordination and logistics. So I had to interview them. I had to make sure that they knew what facility, that the rate was right, um, if there were any issues on site that they were sharing it. So it, it became somewhat transactional. I uh-huh. still had great relationships with the therapists. But was I doing anything creative? Was I really um, making a big difference or impact? No. Not really. Uh, okay. So, okay, so that, like the job portion, that's a big change. And then you've also, now you're probably not doing this thing that you love all the time, this art piece. Was there, how did that play into, like, yeah, I mean, that that feels like such a crazy change. Like you're doing this thing that maybe you didn't really plan on doing, but like you're helping people with art most of the time in a long, like you've got these great relationships and yeah. then on to not really any of that. Were you still doing it on the side? Like, were you still making time for, for that thing or no? No. Damn. Okay. No, I wasn't. I, I it was like this, I was working in social services and it was very people-based to, I was now in a corporate position uh-huh. and there were rules, there were uh, quotas that I needed to meet, uh, to reach. I needed to make sure that we were making, uh-huh. you know, X amount of revenue. So it was a very, it was very, very different from what the way that I'm wired and yeah. what I was paying attention to. Okay. Yeah. That feels that feels difficult. Um, okay, and how long did you do that? How long were you in this recruiting role? A lot longer than I should have. So I started out doing um, the rehab facilities and the therapists, and then I was recruited to join a proprietary recruiting organization in uh, 1999 where uh, we were doing um, high volume staffing, so okay. all I, I so it was full immersion into sales, inside and outside sales. We were required to do 125 phone calls a week and uh, 12 what they called client visits to develop relationships, and then we were filling 
we were filling all of these positions. Okay. Um, how were you... How were you doing mentally during that time? That feels like... That feels like not... Yeah, that doesn't feel ideal. And knowing you, that doesn't feel like something that would be ideal. I don't like being forced to hit a quota for how, like having quality mm-hmm. relationships. That was something yeah. that I never really enjoyed. I think I found my way to make, make my, to, to be authentic, to be myself in that environment um, and still be successful. Um, I did not thrive long-term there because yeah. it was very much a per, uh, prescribed formula and you had to, you know, sort of follow this and do this reporting. And then if your numbers dropped, then you had to, you know, explain why they dropped and what are you going to do to change it? And and that was always very stressful. So how did you, um, how did you make that work for you? Like, how did you make, yeah, how did you make that work? Like, how, how were you able to either trick yourself into, um, creating those relationships still or like how did you do that so i spent probably more time on the front end talking to our clients and learning more about their business and what were their pain points like why were they coming to higher temps so if they're continually relying on this outside resource what's going on internally that they can't keep people or they're having that that type of turnover Uh so I think that was the first shift that led to where I am today is that I wanted to problem solve for them, which is probably not the right thing to do while proprietary recruiting. But I mean, it was a natural progression is like, this is your business. You're spending twice as much on this temp to come in that you constantly have to retrain rather than looking at, you know, what's going on internally for this to happen. So... I would say that that's the, the, the first shift. And that was interesting to me. So it kept, it kept my interest and I'm not going to lie. Like it was the first time in my life that I was actually making money. I was able to pay off my Uh student loans. I was able to, um, buy a house. So going from the social sector where you don't make a lot of money Mm -hmm. to being able to pay off my debts, have money in the bank and actually start to create a life that was appealing to me Uh to be able to have that balance. Yeah. Okay. So you were there for a couple years. That is kind of the first, um, intro into like, Oh, here's this like problem solving with people thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. So you move on from that, to what where did what what was next one of my clients from the proprietary recruiting uh company recruited me to come and work at uh the bank that she that she was at okay and it was a different type of role i was still doing recruiting and i had a specific client so i had the retail uh, banking clients which they're high customer service there's also high turnover it's a lot of stress you need to learn a lot But I loved the partnership with them and really finding the person who truly matched the the culture of that branch of what uh, and and how they thrived. Then what happened is I started to recruit for high potentials, which is, you know, people that they wanted to eventually move into management. Mm -hmm. And I love that. 
Okay. I love that. Um, and so this evolution started to happen, and then uh, one of the new orientation trainers uh, at the bank at the time got sick, and so they asked me to step in and do the orientation for all of those new hires for that week. And luckily it was, you know, I think eight or 10 of them were mine, but it was the first time for me standing up in front of a group of people and I wanted them to feel welcome. I wanted them to be excited about this next stage of Mm -hmm. their journey. And what I didn't realize is that the woman who headed training and development was sitting in the back of the room. I'd never met her before. So I'm up there telling jokes, I'm, you know, getting all of the paperwork done, I'm getting them to bond, (laughs) we're having a lot of fun. And so, you know, we we end, uh, we end orientation, and they all, you know, sort of go off on their own. And she walked up to me and she said, you should be in training and development. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? (laughs) Okay. Do you think you would have done that orientation differently if you would have known she was in the room? I think I would have been more self-conscious. I would have uh, probably stuck more to the script rather than going off cuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. So you mentioned that you, this high potential uh, recruiting or whatever we want to call that, why did you enjoy that part that so much more than the others? I, I've always been fascinated by people's stories and where people want to go and what they want to do. And so the way that my brain is wired is I'll ask all of the questions like, what's this step? Why leadership? What's your draw to it? You know, what are the steps that you've taken to to get there? And for me, those were all things that I've naturally been curious. And I think it's because I couldn't define my own path myself. Mm -hmm. It's it's like, well, does everyone else have this figured out? And I'm the only, you know, Yahoo out here that's just sort of uh, faking it till I make it. I don't know. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Okay. So then did you immediately, well, not maybe not immediately, but did you pretty quickly move into training and development after that, after that presentation? It, it took about six months. So, um, the, the woman who identified me, she's now, she's my life, like lifelong friend and mentor. She, she fundamentally changed my life, uh, gave me really constructive feedback that, I guess, you know, if you don't have somebody to guide you in the right direction, you don't know um, what your blind spots are. So it took it took about six months for me to make that transition because she encouraged me to do discovery. She said, I want you to go in and observe training. I want you to have conversations with people on my team, um, do some research yourself. So I did that. And uh, I interviewed for a job without really having any formal facilitation experience other than teaching, but teaching and facilitation are two totally different things. So I came up with this really crazy uh, game to engage all of the people who were interviewing me. I did something (laughs) that was completely weird and outrageous and they loved it. And so she said, I want you to bring that creative energy to some of the really mundane trainings and the things that you know, that we have to do every week. Um, 
and we have to do them because of compliance and regulatory, but it doesn't mean that we can't have fun doing it. Mm -hmm. So I took over uh, teller training. I took over um, the the role that they had that's more of a hybrid within the grocery store locations because uh, the grocery store locations, you had to be more than just a teller. You had to, uh, you know, know a little bit about business banking. You had to know a little bit about merchant services, loans, uh, all of that. Uh-huh. So um, she let me really take that over. And what I did is I honored everyone that's been doing this for years. So I came into a very tenured team of uh, women who had been doing this for 20, 25 years. Oh, wow. And so I learned so much from them and they were incredibly knowledgeable and they were very dedicated and they were very good at what they did. But they were, you know, these rule followers. And then I come in 20, I don't know, how old was I? No, I was, I was in my early 30s. And I'm, I wanted to turn it on its ear. I still wanted to honor what they had created, yeah. but I wanted to make something very different. Um, so I changed a lot of the activities. I changed a lot of the ways that we engage people through that training. And I loved it. I loved the the connection that we created, the authenticity of the participants and understanding, like, this is how you process a check. But let's talk about, like, what's the engagement that you have with the customer while that happens? Mm -hmm. And does it need to be sort of this really rote transactional thing? Or is there a chance for connection? And is there a creative way for us to make this more interactive? Mm -hmm. Did you get any pushback from the people that had been there for a a while? Yes. How did you, how did that go? How did you manage that situation? Um, it wasn't a great part of my career, um, because I saw that things could evolve and change. And when people are very stuck and very comfortable in what they're doing, um, my personality type is that either you come along for the journey or I'll see you later. And that was sort of my first leadership experience because as I was creating these things, uh, and changing the way that they were doing things, I was promoted to be their their manager within three months. Okay. All right. So a 30 (laughs) something (laughs) is managing a group of 50 something women who have been in the job for way longer than me. Okay. So, I mean, this is a whole thing in its own, but how, yeah. Like what did you do to make that, not an absolute disaster or was it an absolute disaster? It was, I think I had to do some, uh, some growing up myself and recognize, um, that if I were in their shoes, which that would be the situation today, um, how would I feel? And so what I did is I went back to each of the individuals that I was working with and I made sure to say, Um, you know, everything that I've learned has been from you and I, um, and I like to be able to, you know, learn and grow and try different things. I'd like you to be a part of that. And if I, um, if there's a way for us to sort of meet in the middle, like I still want to honor, you know, the things that we have to do because you, you know, it's banking, Yeah. but are you open to trying these different things? 
And so that was my way. And I had to be consistent. So mm-hmm. that wasn't one conversation. It was yeah. con- And then we were all tasked with they evolved the type of role that now you weren't just focusing on the transactional teller piece, but then they were building out this sort of holistic model for for the bank. So what I did is I formed the project team with all of the the individuals that worked for me. Mm-hmm. And I said, we're going to create this together. And I said, I am going to be the person that says, let's try this thing that's way out here. And I don't expect us to get all the way out there, but I want us to go from the ground to, you know, maybe the 10,000 foot level. Yeah. And it took us six months. We built something that we then did the pilot for uh, 35 people. We were all a part of it. And after that was done, there was this mutual respect. There was um, this admiration for one another. There was trust. There was vulnerability. But I mean, that was a lot of time. And I had to recognize, like, if if I want these people to believe in the possibilities of where we can go, I have to make sure that I'm making space for them to come along on the journey. How? OK, so you are moved into this management role with mm-hmm. them. Did you know immediately that you needed to do those things to try to get everyone on board? Or was that something that you were doing beforehand or how long did it take for you to be like, oh, I got to do something different? Well, I or did, did you have guidance from the one mentor there? So she let me fall a little bit. Okay. I feel so, like that's good. yeah. So I went in like a bull in a china shop and I was like, <laughs> we're going to do things differently now. And they were like, no, we're not. And I was like, yes, you are. And they were like, no, you're not. And so <laughs> okay. we went we went back and forth a little bit. And then I went to my mentor and said, um, I can't work with these women. They're not willing to move. And she said, well, have you heard their story? Have you honored where they've been? And... Uh, I said, no. And she said, well, how about you go go back and do that? She didn't tell me how to do it. Uh-huh. She didn't check in on me. She just said, you know, in order to get people to buy into your direction and your leadership, you're going to have to you're going to have to build those relationships yourself. So I went back and I apologized first. So I apologized to all of them. Uh, and then over time, it was like, uh, can we meet? Can we talk? Can I learn? You know, can we have mm-hmm. this discussion? And so uh, if if she hadn't sort of, you know, nudged me in the uh-huh. right direction, I probably still would have been like dragging. <laughs> yeah. I think I eventually would have learned, but my learning curve would have been a lot longer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you, okay. What was after that project? So was it was this a role that was just like kind of dedicated to that project? What were you um, where did you go from there? I during that project, I was simultaneously being built up as um, what's called a master trainer, master trainer, master facilitator. So while I was managing this really high profile uh, project for, you know, a bank of 30,000 people, they also had me participate in all of these other certifications. Uh, so this is where I learned how to be a true facilitator. So I went through a, fa- a facilitator certification process, which takes a week. It's brutal. Every day, nine hours, then you have homework at night. Come back. You have okay. to do a series of presentations, get feedback. You modify, build your style and approach. And it, then at the end of the week, you either become 
certified or not. Okay. So I went through with that bank. They invested a a lot in me. So I went through seven certifications in a year on top of building that project. Okay. So at the end of that, I, you know, I had a lot of, you know, three letters behind Uh my name of, of what I've done and what I've accomplished. And I think that really also changed the tra- trajectory of my career. Cause the second that I took the intro uh, introduction to leadership class that, um, that they put me through as the facilitator, I was done. That was it. That that's where, uh, and I remember the date I was, uh, I had just turned 34 and I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. There was a definitive moment. I had just finished up a a training in Chicago that took two weeks. It was brutal, but it was around how to teach this leadership series. And that was it. I was like, I, I want to do leadership development. What about that? Cause you, I mean, you would, okay. So that was the first like structured leadership development that you mm-hmm. had been introduced yep. to. What about that was like mind blowing? It, it created this panoramic view of w- what I see life. So we're we're all born and raised with certain personality traits, and then our environment influences, our mm-hmm. education influences, and then our experience influences, then how we decide to move forward. This was the first time that I had seen uh, it honor all of those, the complexity of who you are, towards how to create you into a high-performing leader. Okay. And I loved the honor of, well, you're wired a certain way, and these are your experiences, and these are all of your different uh, dimensions of diversity. And so there's all of this complexity. But the way that you lead people is you have to be authentic to who you are. Mm -hmm. You have to... um, you have to teach people the why behind it. And that's that's what I love. When the light bulb goes off and I see people start to move in a different direction, mm-hmm. that it, that makes my day. Okay. That makes sense. Um, it, that makes sense based on my experience. With, like, okay. Okay. So you're in – you're there for how long? How long until you moved on to... I was only there for two and a half years. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, when you moved on from there, what... It seems like you had a great experience there um, or a good experience and they were developing. They, you know, like you said, you you got a lot. Uh, you made a lot of progress while you were there. What led to you moving on from there? Change in leadership. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I worked for my mentor mm-hmm. at that time and uh, in Pittsburgh, and the woman who was running the overarching department was in Philadelphia, and uh, she said, you're now going to report to me. And I reported to her for a week. And I gave my two weeks notice. Okay. 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 Um, okay. Were you – okay, so you move on from there. It looks like you went back to the – The proprietary recruiting place. Okay. Um, 
And what were you doing when you went back? Uh, Training and recruiting. So I became what was called an internal recruiter. So I would hire uh, these proprietary recruiters for the different lines of business. Okay. But the caveat is that I also got to onboard and train them. Okay. So rather than just hiring them and saying, like, good luck, Mm -hmm. it was... Um, Let me teach you what I learned. Uh, Let me teach you some of the best practices. These are the people that you need to connect to. These are the these are some of the pitfalls that you need to to look out for. And so we did this tremendous investment on the front end to make sure. And we had higher retention. The people that we actually invested in, they rose the ranks. They Mm -hmm. became assistant directors or directors of a division of business rather than their you know their business model before that was. We give you three months, sink or swim. Yeah. If you survive, awesome. If you don't, I'm I'm going to replace you. Yeah. That seems like kind, I mean, based on the couple things before that, that's kind of, uh, that makes sense as the next progression. How did you enjoy that? Was that something that, that you did like or not so much? Or yeah, how did that go? I did enjoy it, but it also gave me the freedom. One of the things that I learned at the bank before I left was that I really needed to go back to school and get my master's degree in the area that would then help me set myself up for being in leadership development. So I went back to school for organizational leadership. Okay. And did you notice that because like you needed the, like to fill a a requirement or you were you didn't have the information you needed to learn. I wanted to understand the research and the framework behind um, organizational development, leadership development, so that I could understand the the psychology. I could understand the science. What what's been okay. done before, so that way I felt felt like I could take what I had learned at the bank and all of the certifications and apply it to something bigger and better. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Um, okay. So you're there for a couple years. Yeah, I completed my degree. Uh, then they we went into the downturn in 2008, and the internal recruiter position was eliminated, hmm. which okay. was fine. It was fine because it was time for me to move on. I think I could have... Uh, become comfortable and I probably wouldn't have uh, grown that yeah. much if I had stayed in that role. So that's when I I actually saw um, a position for it was a leading uh, leadership um, development specialist within another financial institution. Okay. And so I interviewed, I had to do uh I had to do a training, then I had to sit through a panel, I had to go through assessments, uh, I had to show a portfolio of my work from what I had accomplished at the the other bank, and it was just a really lengthy process. Uh, but I got the job. That's good. And I was there for almost six years. And my entire function at that time was uh, leadership development. And I built custom leadership development programs for each area of the bank. Okay. And throughout, so one thing that I wanted to come back to, the mentor from the first bank, 
you said you're still close today. Um, was that a okay? So she originally comes to you at this uh, presentation. After that, did you guys just naturally have a good relationship? Were you seeking somebody for guidance, or was she kind of just providing? Like, how did that relationship form to this mentor? Like, how did that happen? And were, was this still present? I, I imagine if you're still close today, it was still present through this next banking job. Well, I reported to her at that bank. At the at first. And the second. So she had made the move. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. So okay. Uh, um, our relationship came out of um, a mutual admiration for one another. She is very much detail-oriented, steady, uh, steady in her approach. She's very methodical. She's very analytical. And I'm over here. Uh-huh. I'm... Uh, I'm emotional. I like to to try and then figure out what's wrong with mm-hmm. it. And so it wasn't um, – we weren't in conflict with one another. We worked really well where I would push her to think about things, and she would say, Steph, if you want to do that, think about the risk. And it took us a little while to find our stride because I used to, you know, march into her office and <laughs> say, like, let's do this and let's change everything. And she would calmly look at me and she would say, I heard what you had to say, shut the door on the way out. And when I think about it, <laughs> okay, we'll come back and we'll talk about it. And so I'd be like, cool, shut the door, uh-huh. leave. Okay. And then when she did process it, she would come back and she would say, I like your idea. Here's the strengths of what I see. And then here are some of the blind spots I think you need to consider. So if you figure out how to handle these blind spots, come back to me with a, you know, better. Yeah better process, and then we'll talk. And every single time, she helped me navigate the things I don't see that I don't naturally pay attention to. And we created really great things together in those six years. Hmm. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Um, Okay. So new banking role. Um, You were there, you said, what, six? Almost six years. years. Um, Okay. Was there anything of note there like it seems like kind of more of not the same but kind of just a ne- the next step up of what you had already been doing leadership development um yeah anything anything crazy that happened there or um notable experiences that kind of shifted your mind again yes so about uh 5 months into my role at this institution, it was announced that we were uh, absorbing another major bank. So it was one of the largest bank acquisitions ever done in the U.S. Okay. And so, and it was a really tight timeline because that was the downturn in the economy. The government had given us money uh, to to do this, this acquisition. And so... Um, the leadership development that I was doing was put on hold. And now what I was doing was working with uh, a team of amazing people within the organization to help look at the overarching cultural change and how do you merge two completely different cultures together with two different executive leadership teams? And then how do you adopt new practices? How do you honor 
how people feel. Like one part of the organization felt like, sweet, you're joining us. You're going to do what we do. Mm-hmm. And the other side of the organization said, we've, you know, we've got all of these strengths that are now being ignored. So you had this dynamic that was really, was very stressful for both sides. And my role was, um, I was sent out to different sites that were having a very hard time with the change. And I would uh, sort of immerse myself in those those areas or those markets, learn the leadership, meet with people, gather information. And then, then what we would do is I would come back and I would report up to leadership to say, listen, this is really what we need to honor. And this is how I, I believe that we could move forward and build hmm. build consensus. And that was another aha moment for me is that it's not just about doing training. It's mm-hmm. how do you fundamentally build these relationships with people to help the hmm. organization holistically learn and grow. And that was... Um, I think really the precursor to me saying, you know, someday I, I want to do this, but I, I don't want to do it for someone else. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Before that point, had you even considered doing anything on your own? No. Okay. Mm-mm. Wow. Okay. So that's pretty late. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. So what about at that, up to that point, like, it's, it's weird that, that at that point you have the first thought of, like, oh, I'd like to do this for myself. How – what was enticing about doing it for yourself rather than continuing to do it with different organizations? I think I realized that once we were through um, the integration and we were coming together as one organization, you know, how many other opportunities would I have there to be able to do that sort of large-scale change. Okay. So is you wanted to do more of that, and the only way to do that would be to do it on your own. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Um, okay, so after, um, after this banking, after you had done that for a while, you move on again. Um, and I had a very short stint at the, the the next organization, which was a mixture of arts, creative, and uh, death care. Okay. And I was brought in as an organizational development manager. And the reason why I wanted to go there was because I was enhancing two specific um, leadership development programs for a global organization. So it wasn't just U.S. Mm-hmm. It was they have presence in Europe, Asia, all everywhere. Uh-huh. And I had to develop or, or take, there was already a program in place, but develop it even further. And um, how do we build cohesive le- leadership across the globe? Okay. So you were there for not that long. I was there for wow. a year and a half. Wow. What, uh, it was an intense year and a half. So I went for, they put me through, uh, five certifications. Um, during that time I was running two nine month global, uh, um, programs where I had what were called high potential leaders and then executive succession leaders. So every month 
I had to plan a session somewhere in the footprint of the organization, mobilize everybody, uh, pick a topic, plan, uh, because we also made it social so that people would have relationships. Mm-hmm. So I was like a tour guide, facilitator, event planner, uh, travel, tourism, and uh, I managed okay. all of that. And I did it by myself. Okay. So um, after traveling <laughs> okay. every single month and being gone um, essentially for two and a half weeks out of the month and then having the other Jeez. two and a half weeks to try and plan, mobilize and set for the next, uh, I didn't have any support. And it was a, I loved the, the people that went through the program, but it wasn't sustainable. And I had an opportunity to go into higher education, which I had always wanted to do because I thought, well, higher education, we're going to be continually learning. I'll be exposed to mm-hmm. like what's happening in research and uh, and, you know, possibly be able to teach at the collegiate level. And I completely nerded out at that. So, <laughs> OK, so uh, I left uh, I left corporations and I went to higher education. OK. And so, OK, so all of these. Were you doing any of – I'm going to keep coming back to this just because it's interesting to me that you have this art thing that you enjoyed so much. Were you doing any – like did it ever come back in to like as a hobby, like a regular hobby or anything? No. No. Damn, that's a bummer. Well, it's there now. Okay. So uh, when we get to talking about yeah. COVID – Okay. It it comes back. Okay. Um, Okay. So you move on. You're in higher ed now. Um, And what were you doing? In higher education, um, I was hired for a new role. So they had a new dean of the libraries, and he wanted me to come in and help do transformational change uh, within the library system. So we used the Clifton Strengths. Uh, assessment, which I was certified in the last bank, and wanted to empower librarians to move beyond what they had learned in their library degree and what the traditional model looked like. So rather than being transactional and passive, Mm -hmm. how do you teach a librarian to um, feel empowered to look at how they can make a positive difference, how they can impact students and faculty in the community a little bit differently. Um, and uh, turns out that librarians, that that's like a long runway for them to, to get to that. Some people don't agree with the model and decided not to go along for the journey. And then we had okay. others that like took it and <laughs> ran with it. Okay. Okay. Um, what was... Yeah, I guess, like, man, that's such a weird, that's such a strange position to me. Like, I I would, I've never thought about librarians in that way. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. It's like, for that to be your focus, that's a crazy position. It was, and it didn't last long. Okay. So we had a change in leadership again, and uh, I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, the gentleman who took over HR at the university, and he presented um, a completely new role, and he said, I want you to be the pilot for it because you have the the most experience. And so it was the start of what, what, what they called the HR business partner. Okay. Role, And so I still supported 
the libraries, but I was then split between uh, working with the libraries and then I got a chance to work with enrollment management, which is the admissions area, um, new new student orientation, anyone that um, really influenced the, the students from the start of you know, wanting to go to college to getting them integrated through their, their first semester. Okay. And I, and I love that. They had never had an HR business partner. HR is typically seen as the punitive uh, department mm-hmm. of, of any organization. So they were like, are you, are you just a spy that you're going to come in and then report <laughs> yeah. out on everything that we're doing wrong? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I had to, I really had to build trust and I spent a lot of time building relationships. I immersed myself in every area of uh, enrollment management. So I went to FAFSA fairs, which is how kids apply for financial aid. Mm-hmm. I went to new student orientation. I helped with uh, the, the tours, uh, worked in the visitor center, worked with um, a lot of the finan- financial aid people. So once I learned all of that, I could go back and then make recommendations of like, this is where we're really strong culturally. And then this is where we have opportunities to grow. And once I did that, the, uh, the vice president of, uh, enrollment said, let's build a program that helps everyone. And so that's what we did. And I would say that that was my most favorite, uh, role within another organization when working for somebody else that was, I felt like I had really arrived. It's weird that it's strange to me that like as we're working through all this, you have this like you're constantly looking to learn new things and like you spend a ton of time doing it. Mm -hmm. But then so it's weird. So but you weren't you weren't a great student like you didn't enjoy learning then. No. Um. I, so I guess it's probably that, like, freedom to kind of learn the things that feel important. Um, it's, yeah, it's so, that's strange. Because you've got, it's like, that's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. But you have the, in every role, you're just learning all of these new things. You're, and outside of, you know, obviously there's the things that are, um, the certifications that are being, you know, hey, you need to do this. But there's also all of the things outside of it. Like, nobody was probably telling you to go to these FAFSA fairs. No. Like, um, but it was something that you, for some reason, found interesting and thought that it could help you. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. That just is, it's, yeah, there's that like student piece as a kid that everyone's like, oh yeah, like you're going to be a good student and all of these things, but it's not, it doesn't it's not that much of an indicator, I don't think. I don't think it is. And I think, uh, you know, this is probably... It can a, be, but... The way the way that our education system is designed is for people to memorize and, mm-hmm. and like, fit into this little tiny box. And yeah. I was a creative kid. And if they had allowed me to draw pictures of what it was like to travel across the prairie and what people had to experience. I probably would have remembered more <laughs> in social studies and history, mm-hmm. but because it was memorized this fact, like this, this was the war, uh, the war of 1812. I don't care if you're not making the connection yeah. and how it impacted humankind. I, I didn't pay attention to it. Do you think throughout a lot of these roles, because you had the, f- you were kind of creating your own, 
or a, a piece of creating your own systems, was that maybe filling some of that like creative, mm-hmm. that like art piece? So it, art, art as its own thing didn't need to be as important because you were kind of filling that void with your roles. Yes. Like I found a lot of creative freedom in the way that I design my, my classes or mm-hmm. my, my workshops mm-hmm. um, and the way that I engage people and the activities and the discussion that I create. For me, that was another ap- uh, avenue for creativity. Hmm. Okay. That, that makes, yeah, that makes sense. That makes the lack of the art piece like less upsetting. Yeah. Less, <laughs> less of a bummer to me. Um, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So, um, did you get to do any of the, the teaching or anything at the university? Like, yeah. Okay. I did. And this, uh, whoops, uh, mm-hmm. that's actually where, um, I had my first opportunity to get a taste for consulting. Okay. So I had, uh, there were some guests that came to campus and saw me speak from different organizations and they reached out to me and said, would you do this uh, outside of your role um, at WVU? And of course I, you know, I vetted it and uh, made sure it wasn't a conflict of interest. But then I, you know, I had this, my first client, my first client was a very, uh, very big client, which is um, the Association for Research Libraries in Washington, D.C. And they focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, within within R1 uh, research libraries across the country. And this gentleman wanted me to partner with him to create a session for all of these uh, amazing individuals that are, are across the diversity realm mm-hmm. um, to, to do a training session with them. So I was super excited, but I also was super nauseous because here's this this amazing program that has people coming from all over the world. And like, you know, I'm Stephanie from (laughs) (laughs) Western Pennsylvania. And, but um, I do focus on empowerment and inclusion in the, in the work that I do. And I, I had to be like, yeah, I do do this. Yeah. Well, but you, I mean, sure. Not in that, like in with that title, Mm -hmm. like with the diversity, equity and inclusion title, but like you, helping to merge all of like in the bank acquisitions, like kind of similar in when you're going to all over the world to do trainings for these different groups and role before that, like you're kind of doing without the title Mm -hmm. of, of, but like, it's kind of the same. I mean, I'm sure it looked different and felt different at the time, but looking back on it's like, yeah, this, this, that's natural. You've been doing that. Yeah. Um, hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I went and I did the, um, the engagement. We had a great response and, uh, became connected to a lot of the different schools across the country that were embedding these, um, these really great high potential young leaders into libraries. And Hmm. that was really liberating. And I was like, I kind of like that I got to do this and there was nobody telling me what I needed to include. And I mean, it also created accountability for me. Like Mm -hmm. if it fails, it's on me. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, hmm. Okay. So you've got, um, 
you're at the university. You eventually leave there. Um, I guess what year, where are we at now? So I was at um, the university from 2015 to 2018. Okay. And that entire time I was building my my model to uh to go out on my own okay so what point did you take start taking that more seriously the you doing it yourself the end of 2015 so after i finished the engagement with arl um i uh i've been a part of the community leadership program here in washington so leadership washington county i'd always uh been the facilitator for that since um, um since 2011 and I started to have individuals that went through the program reach out and they had additional needs. So there was one gentleman in particular that I just want to call out that he um, was such an amazing supporter early on named uh, Glenn Motter. Uh, and he was a great he was a great person to partner with. He loved the Clifton Strengths, and um, we built several programs for the organization that he was working for at the time. And built out these uh, large-scale training projects, and that really was the catalyst for me to go out on my own. I, I took the money from that, uh, invested it into, well, if I'm going to go out on my own, what does that look like? But I really started to see this this pathway forward, um, you know, based on that that experience. I mean, Glenn really, really was, like, my, my biggest advocate uh, through the first and second year of the the business. Okay. So we'll come back to that, Mm -hmm. the business piece, but the leadership Washington, how did you get involved with that? Like what led to you? (laughs) Uh, it's a crazy story. So I was going through my, uh, my, my leader, my Clifton, uh, strengths leadership. So strengths space for, um, for leaders certification was, so it was my second part of my certification and I didn't really know anybody in the Mon Valley. I'd only been here for like six months and the only person I knew was my massage therapist okay. Okay. <laughs> and she's, she's, uh, she's fantastic. And so, uh, you know, there was one time I was there and I said, listen, I have to, I have to go through and I have to, um, coach so many people before I'm, uh, signed off to be, uh, um, certified for mm-hmm. this, would you mind being one of my, one of my coaches? So we went through it. She was like, this is amazing. And we applied it to her business. We came up with a business plan and she said, all right, we did this tomorrow. I'm actually hosting this session at Mon Valley, <laughs> uh, the YMCA. Would you mind coming and just talking at high level what we just went through? So I threw some stuff together, headed over to the Y, stood in front of people I'd never met before, and told them about Clifton Strengths. We went through an exercise, and from that, the next year, they're like, "We want you to be a part of the program." So I was then embedded in the program okay. in uh, 2012, and in 2013, uh, I took over the curriculum and re- revamped the curriculum where it was hmm. a strength. Clifton Strengths based program, and then we built uh, obviously the other legacy things around it that you know were pretty critical. Huh. Okay. Okay, and you're still involved with that, so that's yes, I am. That's a while. Um, okay. All right. So now you're branching out on your own. Um, what? Uh, so you've got 
I mean, you've got a ton of experience beforehand. Yeah. Um, when you decide to, when you decide to do it on your own, was there any, um, this will come up with nonprofit sidekick, but was there any desire to have a partner at this point or, um, yeah, how were you thinking about doing it? You just wanted to work with more people to do the things that you liked. I did. So again, uh, there's a theme with me leaving organizations is that, um, the leader that I was reporting to, um, moved me over to someone else. And that was a very quick catalyst. Uh, this person was toxic. They were one of the worst, uh, leaders, managers I have, I have ever come in contact with. And so rather than me being able to finish out, like building my plan, I left like I exited okay. because I it was just not it was not a good environment for me. Um, I was uh, my health was affected. I just and I wasn't thriving. So I said, I'm going to step out of this. I had I had enough of plan. So I wasn't, you know, completely stupid. OK, well, before we move on from that, do when you're in those situations, do you how do you determine whether or not like for you in particular, how do you determine whether or not that situation is a, like, okay, is it just harder? Is this person just harder or it's actually negative? So is it a, diff, is, it, is this new individual difficult but leads to me growing, which is going to be uncomfortable, or they're actually toxic? Like, do you have, how do you think through that? So I, I think those are those are difficult to work through. It's they like are. I'm in a position where it's difficult, but is it difficult positively or this is going to lead to bad? How yeah. do you think through that? The first thing that I always uh, did was I would I, I would go in and I would sit down and I would talk to them and I would say, you know, um, this is my perception of the situation and this is my perception of how we engage with one another and I'd like to talk to you about it. And for me, the gauge is, is, are they open to the conversation or do I get shut down? And what I found is that through, I've had three really toxic managers in my career, is they all had the same trait. And the same trait is, you know, Stephanie, I'm the boss. Okay. And you have to trust that I have your best interest at heart. And I always came back with, well, do I have a voice and what that looks like? And, you know, I have ideas. I'm open to hearing. You just have to trust me and I'll create the right opportunities. So that to me, it didn't feel like there was a lot of transparency. It felt very okay. one-sided. Um, and anyone who sort of hands me that ultimatum, like it's, you know, my way or the highway. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. I'm not working for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a good... Um, I've That's had managers on that. the other side of it that you said that that, uh, that um, I may not have had the greatest relationship with them like I did my mentor, mm -hmm. but they definitely pushed me. And I was mm -hmm. always open if they explained the why and they said, you know, here's what the um, the situation that we're going to provide to you. This is the guidance that I'm going to provide. This is what I think it's going to do. I'm all in. But if it's yeah. blind. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That's yeah. a good way to, to think about that. Um, okay. So now back to, um, you had that relationship, you're out of there, mm -hmm. you're doing it on your own now. Um, 
how did you think that that was how quickly okay so before you have this change in leadership were you moving in that direction to doing it on your to starting your okay yeah so i um i had two clients that i was doing regular work with so the wonderful thing about higher education is you get or you used to get a ton of vacation time so what i was doing was i was using my vacation time to do some of these other engagements. So I was like slowly building these things in while I was working there. So I had money in the bank. I had uh, clients who were actively engaging with me, but I did not have a business plan. And uh, in order for me to uh, step out of the organization, the the first decision that I made is, do I have enough to carry me for a year so that that time I mm-hmm. can learn, I can understand more about what I need to be doing and how I need to be doing it. And the answer was yes, is that I had um, a client who said, I'm uh, basically, he wanted me to create a proposal. I went through the RFP process. I won the business at uh, this organization. And it was a long-term contract that I knew would allow me to, you know, sort of figure it out as I go. But I, I didn't leave without having yeah. a plan in place. Okay. Um, okay. That's, I, in some cases that's good. In some cases yeah. it's It was not, a monetary like, plan. I had no idea yeah. what I was doing for the business. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> so what did you do to, you had a client or two, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a little bit of um, stability there, which takes a lot of the pressure off. Um what did you, were there things that quickly came up that were like, oh, I have no idea how to do this as a business? Or th- was there anything that happened yeah. that came up? <laughs> what what um, were some of those? Contracts, okay. invoicing, setting expectations around payment, um, creating really clear uh a, a business plan to say, you know, at the, f- the first of every month, I'll send out my invoices. Also developing a P&L, you know, your, your profit mm-hmm. and loss statement, because um, I hate math. Uh-huh. I hate anything, that, an Excel spreadsheet. And so I had to learn how to do all of that. And I had I had to track it. And um, it took away from the creativity of what I could do and, you know, thinking about the possibility. But if I don't have a firm foundation and structure to the business, it doesn't matter how creative I am, mm-hmm. I'm going to fail. Yeah. Were those things that um, you you found out that you needed to learn because something happened or? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I feel like that's generally how yeah. a lot of that learned. Like, it's that you don't know what you don't know. Well, you you don't. It's like, okay, well, I didn't know I needed to do these things. I've never thought about this. I've never had to deal with the billing. Yeah. Like, okay. Um, okay. So that's 20, what, 18, mm-hmm. 2017, 2018? Yeah, 2017, 2018. Okay. Um, and was there anything there? Okay. So you've got all these kind of the, like, the... Um, we'll go with the nuts and bolts of the business that you didn't really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything else that was different now that you're dealing with clients from when you were kind of doing this within organizations? Like um, in those relationships, was a lot of it the same or 
like were you handling the, the relationship similarly or was something was there a learning to that as well does that make sense yes there i i do believe that there's more of a learning um when you're embedded in an organization and you have the chance to build relationships over time it's uh you know, you're given that grace when you are a consultant working for a, a, another organization. You have to find ways to do your own research and also test the tolerance of how much they're willing to share so mm-hmm. that you get a firm understanding. Um so what I learned in my first year of business is do your research first. Don't make assumptions uh, and then come prepared with questions. And so um, that sort of evolved over time. And then I also built in, well, what are your expectations of me? Mm-hmm. What's your timeline? What does success look like? So there was a lot of that where, you know, we'll just do this and it'll be great. Uh-huh. And to let's yeah, let's were, there, this down. were there any like super negative instances where the or maybe not even super negative like what led to the um the assumptions piece like not making as many assumptions and coming with good questions were there a couple bad circumstances or just not ideal circumstances that kind of led to that or did you pretty quickly understand like oh i don't have all this back i don't have all this backing i need to do all this up front it was probably a combination of both. I mean, I, I think I was very fortunate that I had people that I had really strong relationships with be my first client uh, clients. And they were really great about giving me constructive and positive feedback. Like this is going well. And if we could do this differently next okay. time. And what that did is, oh, well, yeah, these are things I need to pay attention to now mm-hmm. that I didn't pay attention to before. Okay. Um and how so the first couple you already had relationships with, which that's nice and easy um, or easier when you moved outside of that, like the sales piece, because there wasn't up to that point, there wasn't a lot of sales. No. How did that go? How did you or or is a lot of it still referrals? Um, yeah. Like, did you go back to learning for how do I do the sales piece or did that, was that ever an issue at least in, yeah, while with your consulting, not with the nonprofit sidekick and stuff yet? Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was pretty terrible. I, <laughs> I, I built my own uh, website, which I had no business doing on Weebly. It was awful. Um, and uh, the majority of my business did come through referrals. It came through people I knew, uh-huh. um, people that I had worked with in the past. And that's really how I built Stephanie Masters Consulting was yeah. all on relationships. And it worked well until 2020. Okay. Then what happened? <laughs> <laughs> you know the answer to that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, okay. So, we know what happened, but what happened with your bit? So a lot of your stuff, do you, I guess a lot of it, it helps to be in person for a lot of. Everything I did was in person. Yeah. So all of the contracts that I had with my clients leading into March of 2020 were, um, I was, so one of my largest clients, I was on site a week out of the month in Detroit. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I was on site for every other client we met in person. There was, I had no virtual presence. Okay. None. Which wasn't uncommon. Right. Um, 
So how did you adapt during that? And was there a sales piece to you being able to, because I feel like a lot of your stuff, if, if a selling point is in person, mm-hmm. which anything HR, like anything people related is better in person. Mm-hmm. It's just better. How did, did you have to overcome some of the, um, the anti-virtual? I mean, there wasn't a lot of adoption at that point, but was there still a sales piece where you kind of had to go into that? Um, I yeah. did. Um, so in March, March of 2020, uh, with my client in Detroit, we were actually building uh, a leadership summit that was going to encourage multiple universities to come to Detroit and participate in this. And so we had designed the entire week and there were multiple workshops a day and you could attend multiple um, things. So we probably had 40 to 50 presentations and people who had (laughs) created this dedicated time. And, you know, we started to work on all of the logistics and when, uh, when we were shut down on whatever it was, March 19th, Mm -hmm. The uh, the dean was like, well, I guess we're just going to have to cancel the the summit. And I went back to the committee and all of these people had already done all of we had done all of the mm-hmm. work and they were devastated. And they said, is there is there something else that we can do? So that's when we all started to explore the all of the online options. Mm-hmm. So within uh, higher education, they use a lot more Teams than they do Zoom. So what we did is we brought the committee back together and we uh, we started t- talking and problem solving and can we do breakout rooms and you know can we have multiple uh, sessions going on at the same time with people who are all over the country. So we tested it. We um, did a few pilots. We uh, we recorded it, and then what we did is I sent it on to the dean and said, you know, here's our other option where this could still happen. We've gone through all of this work, mm-hmm. and at first he was like, I don't know about this, and then he watched the videos, and he said, let's do it. So here we took this huge event. Um, we translated it into Teams. Was it ideal? No. Yeah, but we had people who had never presented before who felt empowered. They were sharing a body of knowledge that um, that people didn't know about them. And so they were now sort of seen as the subject matter expert. And at the end of that week, we had um, I think we had like 25 different schools that participated. And we had um, individuals who now step forward with this new skill set. And it was it was a great learning experience uh, on both sides, but it was also, it was just really hard. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, okay. So there's, all right. Um, we've got probably like 15 minutes, so you got to get out of here. Okay. Um, and I, so next up, there's obviously some things we're skipping here, but you've got nonprofit sidekick that kicked off. Right. It was like the last time that we talked, actually. Um, And so, okay. so this focus on nonprofits, where did that desire come from? Or has that kind of always been your your clients? Have they been in that space or? It's it's always been a mix. Um, I met 
Wendy Bertner through Leadership Washington. She actually went through the the class that was half in person and then half virtual through the beginning of uh, 2020. And um, I love the work that she that she was doing for the organization. And we reached out or she reached out and we had a conversation and originally it was just going to be us doing a workshop together. And I said, you know, well, tell me more about what you're doing. Like, what is Nonprofit Sidekick? And at the end of the conversation, I said, well, can we go into business together? <laughs> she was probably like, what? And so um, it took a year of conversations and really me- us meeting and what does this mean and what does it look like? But the social sector, uh, I mean, Pittsburgh has more nonprofits than anywhere else in the country. And we have nonprofits that start up they have a great mission but they don't know how to mobilize and Mm -hmm. then they don't know how to sustain it so we have all of these people competing for the same resources so nonprofit sidekick was really created to um, honor wendy's experience and how to build a nonprofit uh, both structurally financially Mm -hmm. um, you know compliance and regulatory and what she wanted is the complimentary of like how do we build culture alongside of that yeah and, you know, as soon as she told me about the business model, I was like, this, this is what I want to do. So I want to give back. I want, um, I want my work to have broader impacts to the community. Okay. When you, so you had been doing your consulting on your own. When you start with another person, was there a, was there any learning curve for you oh, yeah. there? Um, what were some of the difficulties there? That feels, I mean, I guess you have the corporate background, so it's not the, it's not the weirdest thing, but I imagine there was still some like, I don't know, a little bit of discomfort there. Well, there's always discomfort when you are talking about money and you're talking about your livelihood. Mm -hmm. Um, Wendy and I, I think have started this out is that, you know, we need to have these tough conversations and we need when we're uncomfortable, if one person's not feeling that we're on the same page, that we need to lean into that vulnerability and have the conversation. And with her, it's uh, with us. It's easy. So we can have the conversation. We can listen to each other's point of view. And I think we've done a really good job of um building the expectation, but also a business model that makes sense for both of us. Okay. Um, did you, at, at the, at the very beginning, did you have those things in place? Like the, those structures in place to have those regular conversations or was that something that you had to kind of learn along the way? I think we both, um, we both had our own businesses on the side, but they were structured very differently mm-hmm. um, because I had more uh, corporate and higher education clients and she focused in on nonprofit. My business model is I had to balance between the administrative and like building hours and then billable hours. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's one of the business model, you know, part of the business model that, that Wendy and I have talked about is every week, do we have a balance between you know, the building, the investment, mm-hmm. the, the learning to what are we billing? How are we creating revenue? Um, and then it was, all right, well, if Wendy brings in a client, you know, does she own all of that? If I bring in a client, do I own all of that? So we went, we've gone through several conversations and I'm sure we're going to have 50 more uh-huh. 
about, well, what does it mean? So we both have this deep commitment to the investment to the business. So we have a percentage of revenue that directly goes back to nonprofit sidekick for investment. But then also, what do we need as individuals and then as partners of the business? So hmm. those are all, I, I believe, uh, evolutionary conversations because each client is different. You know, yeah. sometimes it's consulting, sometimes it's coaching. So. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um Okay, well, we've got not that long. Um, okay, that might be a good place to just kind of tie up. Is there anything else, any other, since you started that, um, is there anything outside of that just relation, like having another person that you're kind of accountable to? Um, was there anything else that came up in the not a year, well, like however long? since July, um, that has come up that has been a significant learning that you didn't expect? So I think that there are three things that I've learned in the year. The first is have the right experts around you to guide the work that you do. So, um, so utilizing your network to find the right people that are going to support you. So, um, you know, finding the right lawyer, finding the right uh, uh, insurance provider that is going to help with liability, Mm -hmm. um, finding the right accountant. Um, And then for us, it was also critical. uh, And luckily, Wendy had a lifelong um, friendship with the, uh, the woman who designed our website. But, you know, finding your network, who's going to be the right fit for your business that is going to bring your brand to fruition um, and so we have two amazing women, so Sharon West and Shana Malaska, uh, who without them, they could, we couldn't have created our website and uh, really what we've done on a nonprofit sidekick. So you need, to, you need to have the right people around you that are going to tell you the hard truths, hold you accountable, and they have your best interest at heart. Okay. Yeah, that's, that feels pretty important. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else before we go? Anything that we've I, I feel like owning your own business is, an, is it's a constant evolution and um, learning has to be a part of it that you always have to go back to what's working, what isn't. If mm-hmm. you get too comfortable, you become complacent and you also can become obsolete. Yeah. So well, you know, out of all of this is learning. Yeah. That's the same through, I mean, like you've showed in your career path like it's with anything if you're too comfortable it's probably not going to be great you're going to be able to sustain probably but um yeah that growth and the learning piece is pretty important um okay uh where can the uh beautiful humans of earth find you (laughs) you can find me at steph at nonprofitsidekick.com um or you could just visit our uh, community and consider being a part of it which is also called nonprofit sidekick those will be linked below um like i mentioned at the beginning we talked about hiring your first employee in episode six uh that will also be linked below that's all Thanks for listening or watching or whatever you're doing, but thanks, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Steph. Yeah, thank you. See ya. Bye-bye.
I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners.